Well, I thank God for all who have led us in worship today. I thank God for all of you who are worshiping with us online and all of you who have gathered in person to worship at Second Baptist Church on this beautiful summer day. I do want to let you know about a very special day in the life of our church. It's August the 7th, coming up in just a few weeks. Please mark August 7th on your calendars. In both morning worship services that day, my friend and colleague, Reverend Amos DeSasa, will be our special guest preacher. I'll be presiding at the Lord's table as we share the Lord's Supper together. And also that same evening, August 7th at 6 o'clock, we'll have a special time of worship at the river. Uh, we have five or six people already scheduled to be baptized in the James River, and we'll have music and prayers and a great celebration that evening at 6 o'clock. So uh, please mark August 7th on your calendars. If you already have something scheduled that day, you can cancel it. You know. <laughs> All right, we're in a sermon series called uh, Head Scratchers, Jesus' Surprising Stories. We're looking at the parables Jesus told as an important part of his preaching and teaching ministry. And today I want to draw your attention to a parable that doesn't get a lot of focus. It's in Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to give it a little more context. And the title of my sermon is, The Finder is Working. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When I was growing up, Sometimes I would misplace something in the house, and I'd say, Mom, I can't find it. 
she'd say, did you look carefully? So I'd look around the den, glance down the hall, check the kitchen table, walk through the bedrooms and say, still can't find it. Then mom would find it in like 30 seconds. She would say with a smile, your finder must not be working. There were times when I couldn't find my G.I. Joe man, but mom could. I couldn't find my baseball glove, but mom could. Couldn't find the remote control, but mom could. And she'd smile and say, your finder must not be working. It became a running joke in our family as to whether someone's finder was working well on a particular day or not. Over time, I realized that it does help to turn over pillows and look underneath the furniture and run your hands through the creases in the couch and lift up the papers scattered on the kitchen table to see if anything is under there. Still, there were times when I spent half an hour earnestly seeking something and came up empty and mom would find it in no time. It seemed like her finder was always working. Nowadays, I'm happy to report my finder is in better shape. Uh, just the other day, we lost track of something inside our house and all four of us were looking for it and I recovered it rather quickly. Uh, beneath a stack of things on the couch. My finder was working. Mom would have been proud. I think being a parent has really enhanced my finder. When my daughter Nora was young, her lovey was a little lamb blanket. She carried it around everywhere, like Charlie Brown's pal Linus carried his a trademark blanket. Nora carried it in her hand, on her shoulder, under her arm. Its name was Night Night, because whenever it was time for Nora to go to bed, she wanted to sleep with it. And if she did not have Night Night, when it was time for her to go Night Night, she struggled to sleep. So every night at bedtime, inevitably, Dana and I would end up saying to each other, have you seen Night Night? Finding night-night shouldn't have been too hard because we had backups. Dana had realized we would be in big trouble if we ever truly lost night-night forever, so we had decided to buy a couple of extra night-nights to have on hand just in case, but it turned out little Nora could tell the difference between original night-night and the spares. So finding the real night-night was not Optional. We couldn't just give up and say, oh, well, it'll turn up later. We couldn't send in a spare either. We needed night-night so that Nora could sleep and so we could sleep. Some nights we turned the house upside down, checking the couch, the garage, the kitchen table, the booster seat, the bean bag, the stairs, in the corner behind the TV, on the shelf, under the beds, everywhere. We needed somebody's finder to be working because locating night-night was vital. The woman in Jesus' story searched with similar desperation. There was no thought of, oh, well, it'll turn up. She had lost a coin 
that was precious to her. She had ten silver coins but could only locate nine, so she cranked up her finder and went on a hunt. This particular coin was a drachma, a tiny silver coin worth about a day's wages in New Testament times. According to Bible scholar David Garland, it was the price of a sheep and the fifth of a price of an ox. In any case, the lost coin represented 10% of this woman's life savings. Of course, this isn't the only story Jesus tells about something getting lost. In fact, he tells two other masterful stories in Luke 15. The first is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. When one gets lost, the shepherd leaves the 99 to seek after the one. The shepherd represents God searching for people with love. And he finds the lost sheep and restores it to the fold. The other story is about a father and his two sons. The older son works faithfully on the family's land, while the younger son abandons the family, travels into the far country, and wastes his entire inheritance on sinful living. When he winds up broke, he heads back toward his dad's house, and while he's still a long way off, his father sees him in the distance, runs out to him, and throws his arms around him and gives him a big hug and welcomes him home with joy. The Father represents God seeking people with love. And he restores the lost son to the family. These two stories get far more attention than the lost coin. It's common parlance to reference the prodigal son or the 99 being left to search for the one. But the story of the lost coin itself gets lost amid the other wonderful stories Jesus tells in Luke 15. Most Bible commentators I read wrote elaborately about the lost sheep and the lost son, but gave short shrift to the lost coin. This is unfortunate because Jesus did not waste his breath telling the story. It's a distinctively powerful parable and the only parable Jesus tells in which the God figure is a woman. Just as the shepherd seeking the lost sheep represents God, just as the father welcoming the lost son represents God, so the woman searching for the lost coin represents God. And she has an amazing finder. Her finder's a lot more like my mom's than mine. Notice how Jesus highlights the thoroughgoing nature of her search. She doesn't just look around the den, glance down the hall, and walk through the bedroom. She searches diligently, assiduously, intensively. She searches carefully, meticulously, painstakingly. This is no perfunctory exercise so that later she can say, well, I gave it a try. She fully intends to find the coin. She's fully committed to finding 
the coin and she deploys vast energy and razor sharp focus in her pursuit. First, she turns the light on, realizing the coin could be hiding in a, a dark corner of the room. She lights an oil lamp, hoping that it will reveal the coin's location. When she still can't find it, she gets out a broom and she sweeps the floor. A small coin could easily become covered with dust, but the broom could brush it up against a wall, making a ringing sound, thereby alerting her to where the coin is. But this doesn't work either. Undaunted and undeterred, the woman continues to look for the coin, searching carefully, Jesus says. The Greek term translated carefully indicates excessive diligence and extreme care. She bends over and inspects every corner. She leans in and scrutinizes every surface. She fastidiously examines every crack and crevice in the entire house. Like a police officer looking for her badge, like a judge looking for her gavel, like a referee looking for her whistle, like a preacher looking for her Bible. She searches for the coin as if she cannot go on without it. It's just one coin, but it has surpassing value to her. She will not rest nor relent until she finds it. And when she finally finds it, says Jesus, she throws a party. The recovery of the coin was so significant that it called for a community celebration. The Greek indicates she invited her women friends over and they had a big girls party to celebrate. This seems an odd ending since it would have cost more than a drachma to throw such a party, it's odd indeed that the woman spends more celebrating the coin than the coin itself was worth. But the ending is where the story is clearly revealed as an analogy, an analogy of God searching for people. Like a woman with a flawless finder, God comes searching for our soul. The value of the individual to God is unmistakable, unequivocal, undeniable, and unquestionable. If you don't feel like you're worth much, you are a treasure to God. If you feel like you're unaccounted for, you count to God. If you feel like you're forsaken or forlorn, misplaced or displaced, God is in pursuit of you because you belong to God. The lost sheep belonged to the shepherd. That's why he left the 99 to look for it. The lost son belonged to the father. That's why he ran out with open arms to welcome him home. The lost coin belonged to the woman. That's why she turned the light on and swept the floor and turned the house upside down to find it. One sheep 
was not expendable, nor was one son, nor one was one coin, nor are you, nor is anybody. Jesus tells this parable as sinners and tax collectors are drawing near to him to listen. And the religious leaders are questioning him. Part of his message is that sinners and tax collectors belong to God just as Pharisees and Sadducees do. The rough and tumble crowd belongs to God just as pastors and deacons do. Outsiders belong to God just as insiders do. The unholy belong to God just as the holy do. Sinners belong to God just as the righteous do. The lost belong to God just as the found do. The message is that we all belong to God. All 100 sheep, all 10 coins, both of the sons, because God created us in God's own image. God made us out of God's divine love for us, and God will seek us until God finds us. This is what we Christians call grace. Grace is God pursuing us with love. Grace is God chasing after us with abandon. Grace is God coming for us when we are distant. Grace is God lighting a lamp and searching for us to bring us salvation. Salvation is not us finding God. Salvation is God finding God us. Notice that the coin does nothing in the story except get found. The decisive action is undertaken by the woman. Likewise, our salvation is undertaken, enacted, achieved, and accomplished by God. There is repentance and faith on our part to be sure we turn to Christ and we trust and follow Christ, but only as a response to God coming for us in the first place. Only as a result of God's preceding grace toward us. Only as a reaction to God's previous action of searching for us and finding us. We love, the scripture says, because God first loved us. We have faith, scripture indicates, because God first extends grace to us. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Reverend Dr. Guy Sales is a retired Baptist pastor and a friend and mentor of mine. He blogs at a site called From the Intersection. And back in April, he posted about an experience he had earlier this year while he was out hiking. It was late in the day in the western North Carolina mountains when Guy realized he had somehow gotten off the hiking trail he had been on and he did not know where he was. He had not taken a trail map with him because he was familiar with the general area nor did he have any food or water with him because he had planned a short hike. He had seen the weather forecast uh, calling for 
high winds and cold temperatures later that night, and so he was becoming concerned. He tried to backtrack and find his way to the trail he had been on, but he couldn't find it. He tried climbing pathless ridges to get a, a higher vantage point from which hopefully he could see a road or a path that would lead him out of these thick woods. But dusk settled in, the sun sank down, the temperature dropped, and winds began howling through the hills. About 8 o'clock p.m., Guy finally admitted to himself that he was totally and utterly lost. So on his phone, he called 911, and the emergency personnel immediately set out to find him. They used their knowledge of the local area, a drone, and a GPS tracking system to aid them in their search. But the night wore on. Nine o'clock passed. Guy was cold, dehydrated, and alone in the dark. Ten o'clock passed. Guy was leaning up against this one tree, trying to pray instead of panic. He had asked the emergency personnel on the phone multiple times what he could do to help. Nothing, they said. Nothing. All I could do, he wrote, was stay still and wait to be found. At 10.45 p.m., nearly three hours after he had called 911, he heard a siren, then a horn. He saw a flashlight in the distance, then another light coming over the hill. He heard people shouting his name, Guy! Guy! And tears flooded his eyes, and he said, Over here! He was yelling, Over here! And they came his way. If you are ever feeling lost or alone, if you are ever feeling misplaced, or abandoned, if you are ever feeling vulnerable or helpless, if you are ever feeling distant from God and others, if you are ever feeling like you're in a cold, dark place, if you're ever feeling like you have lost your way, let me assure you that God is already coming for you. God is in hot pursuit. God is already seeking you with love. God is searching diligently assiduously, intensively. God is searching carefully, meticulously, painstakingly. God is searching relentlessly, tirelessly, unyieldingly. God has turned the light on. God is sweeping the area. God is inspecting every corner, scrutinizing every surface, examining every crack and crevice. God is coming to find you, to recover you, and to restore you like the woman who lost her precious coin. God will not stop looking until God locates you. God will not stop seeking until God finds you. God will not stop searching until you are back in God's embrace where you belong. I know it can be difficult to find things that have gotten lost, but when it comes to God, the finder is always working. 
Amen.